You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County as he teaches through the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join Pastor Ryan now. Continuing to uh, go through the Gospel of Luke, our series in Luke, it's been just some amazing stuff that uh, I think each of us has has been convicted by and has been challenged uh, with. And last week, uh, we started uh, this sermon that Jesus is preaching here to his disciples. As it says in verse 20, he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples. And he begins to, to share with them uh, some principles of what it looks like to be a Christian. And how uh, you, your life uh, should be lived, especially toward those who have hurt you and harmed you and, and your enemies. And I challenged us last week that if you ran into a situation in, in the upcoming week where you were uh, faced with a difficult person, somebody that was cussing you out, somebody that was uh, offending you and hurting you, that you would respond to them the way that Jesus tells us to in verses 27 and 28, that to love them, to do good to those that hate you, to bless those that curse you, to pray for those that spitefully use you. And I, I kind of challenged us that when we're faced with that this week, let's try that and let's look at the astonishment on people's faces. Well, as your pastor, I stand up here having had an opportunity to do that this week and having absolutely blown that opportunity. And if you read my blog, you've already read about it. If you don't read my blog, then you should. That's just all there is to it. Smalltownpreacher.com. But uh, I, I kind of you know, confess this, this particular uh, sin on my blog, but I'm going to share it this morning because I think it illustrates uh, the text very well. And I'm not quite sure who to blame this on yet. I, I haven't quite got to the point where I blamed it on myself. But I, I'm thinking Dave Ramsey's definitely at fault, and, and my wife's right there as well. And we're going through this Dave Ramsey course on Wednesday night, and one of his axioms is, Sell so much stuff, the kids think they're next. So my wife has just been going nuts with selling stuff. Uh, you know, her and Craigslist are, you know, just best friends now. So she says, I think we ought to sell the truck, my truck. And I said, well, I think that's a really terrible idea. I don't want to do that. And she said, well, you know, th- we've got a little bit of equity in the truck. It's actually worth more than we owe. We could sell it, and then we could uh, buy a a vehicle for cash. So we found a, a, a vehicle online that would have been, you know, just fine. And, and we, I said, okay, I'll do that. But I'm not going to go crazy. I'm just going to put it on, I'm just doing one ad and we'll pray about it. And if, the, if it doesn't sell, then obviously it wasn't the Lord's will. So that's, that's what we're doing. So we put it on Craigslist. I thought, nobody's going to buy a car on Craigslist. This will be great, you know. So yeah, Lord, if uh, you want it to sell, sell it. So we pray. So put it on Craigslist. I get like seven or eight emails, phone calls. Like, okay, great. One of them's from this guy. It's like eight o'clock at night from Portland. He says, hey, uh, my dad's in, in town. He's over in Bend on business, and he's going to buy me a truck. He, he's already said he wants to buy me a truck, and he wants uh, you to bring it over to him. I, I told him about it. He wants to look at it, and if he likes it, he'll, he'll buy it. He'll pay you cash. So I'm thinking, well, this sounds kind of shady. You know, the guy's going to pay me cash. It's the middle of the night. It's dark. So I head over there anyway. 
I get a phone call from my father-in-law. He's like worried the guy's an axe murderer. He's like, I don't think you should do this. Andrea's crying, you know. I'm like, well, hey, you're the one that wanted me to sell this thing. I'm just doing what you told me to do. So it's, it's like a blizzard. I'm driving over there. So I said, you know what? This is stupid. I turned around. I went back. I called the guy. And uh, I said, look, it's snowing like crazy. He said, well, don't you live here? That, what's the big deal? You're supposed to know how to drive in this stuff. I said, well, my wife's kind of freaked out. And it is a little bit weird to, you know, if you're going to test drive it in the middle of the night. And, you know, it's just kind of weird. You, you won't be able to look at it very well. How about we do it in the morning? Well, I was going to watch a movie. Now you're wasting my time. I said, I'm really sorry. You, you know, if, if you'd like, I could bring it out to you tomorrow. Okay, we'll do that. So then I call him. I have to leave a couple messages. He tells me he wants me to, you know, make the connection. I've got to remind him. So call him in the morning. And he's like, why are you calling me so late? You just laying in bed all day? And I'm just like, who is this guy? You know, he's already offended me like three or four times. I don't even know the guy, right? And I was like, well, no, I already called you earlier. You didn't answer. And so make a long story short, I meet him at the Comfort Inn in Ben. Drive it all the way over there, which in my mind, I'm thinking this is unprecedented to bring somebody a vehicle. You know, you come to me, but I, I did it. So I bring him the vehicle, pull up, comfort in. He gets out. He's driving a red fire engine red Chevy Suburban. As soon as he steps out, he gets a phone call, doesn't ignore it. He picks it up, doesn't really even acknowledge me, begins to look my truck over, opens the door, pops the hood, uh, talking on the phone. Then, you know, he hangs up and... And he goes, you know, those tires look like crap. And I'm like, yeah, nice to meet you too, you know. Um, And and I'm just thinking like, this is not going to go well. I'm already starting to, you know. And I don't have a lot of patience for that kind of thing. And I said, well, you know, I told your son on the phone that uh, it had oversized mud tires, had a lift, and I told him it was dirty, because that's the other thing. He's like, this is filthy. I said, well, I told him it's, it was dirty. I prepared him for all of that. And he's like, yeah, but he didn't tell me this. I mean, this is ridiculous. This is going to need full detail. The tires have to be replaced. I said, well, look, you know, do you want it or, or not? You know, it's kind of the bottom line here. And he's like, well, I'll tell you what. I, let, me, let me call my son. So he calls his son. He begins to speak like in Greek or Armenian or some kind of Mediterranean language. And, and they're going back and forth. I can't understand them. So then he hangs up. He's like, I'll, I'll give you, you know, X amount of dollars. And it was, you know, considerably less than, than what I'd already told his son that I was willing to take. And I said, look, if I'm going to drive my truck all the way over there, I don't want you guys to play games with me. This is the bottom dollar. You're willing to pay that. Yep, yep, yep. So he said, well, you know, that's before I knew it was filthy like this. And this is all I'll do. And I said, look, I told your son... I wasn't going to play games. Now you're wasting my time. He said, I'm wasting your time. You, you've been wasting my time. I, I mean, look, what do you have to do anyway? You were probably just laying around watching TV. And I, you know, that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. Because it was just like, look, dude, you don't know me. You don't know what I do. You don't know that I've had to rearrange my schedule to drive this thing over here to meet you today. And now you're really, really irritating me. So I just got, I just got in my truck, walked off, you know, started to drive out, and I just got infuriated, you know. 
guy wasted my time, wasted my day. So as I drive by him, I just lay on the horn, right? Just, you know, and I wanted to give him a gesture, but I didn't. I didn't do that. So then I thought, you know what? I'm going to call his son because this, this is ridiculous. So I call his son, answered. I said, you know what? Your dad is a real piece of work. I said, I drove all the way over here. And, and then I won't go into some other things that I said about his dad that probably wasn't very nice. Because his dad said to me, you, you know, he said, you, you've, really, you've really offended me. His dad said that to me. And I said, I've offended you. You've offended me like four or five times. I said, look, if you want me to offend you, I've got some things I could say, but I haven't said anything. But then when I called his son, I just kind of let it out, right? I just told him what I thought of his dad, and I hung up. And then the Lord just began to speak to my heart. And first thing was like, that was super productive, that phone call. That was a good one. And, and how about the fact that you encouraged everybody when given an opportunity to bless those that curse you. And you had an opportunity. I gave you one. It was a softball, and you blew it. And I was just like, oh, man. And the Lord reminded me of, of Romans chapter 7 where Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And if we left it there, it would just be so depressing. We would just give up. It would be like overwhelming, the condemnation, the guilt. But Paul goes on to say, but thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's, you guys, what I want us to focus on this morning is Jesus Yes, all of these truths that Jesus proclaims, that he gives to us, they're important. And we ought to apply them. And when we don't, we're in sin. And we need to confess it. And I did that. And I called my wife and I said, man, I had... I don't call her man. I just said, hon, I had an opportunity to, uh, to, to apply last week's message. And I didn't do it. You know, can, let's pray together. And we prayed together and... and but I, I still had this overwhelming sense of, man, I just, in my flesh, so opposed to God. And that is, is probably a good place to be. That's what God wants us to do. And when we read these things, you guys, when we read of how we're supposed to respond to our enemies, and we, we read about loving them and doing good to them and praying for them and blessing them, it, it, it's so opposed to our flesh but I don't want you guys to walk away thinking I've got to attain to a, a list of rules and regulations. I've got to, to get to this place of a moral standard so that God will accept me. That isn't it at all. What this passage in, in the Sermon on the Mount, in, in this message, that what, they're, what the intent is, is to drive us to Christ. And drive us to the cross where we recognize that we are failures and that we need His forgiveness. And so we, we pick up the sermon in verse 37 with Jesus giving us four commands. Two positive and two negative in regard to our treatment of enemies. He says, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And so, here, Jesus gives us instructions, further instructions, 
in how to deal with enemies, these commands. First he says, judge not, and you shall not be judged. And so as you think about the people who have hurt you, who have harmed you, you might call them enemies, you think about how you treat them, and honestly, it's very easy to judge. It's very easy to just make sweeping generalities about that person, to condemn them. To think, you know what, I just wish they would go to hell. To think, you know what, there's nothing good about that person at all. And, and to hate them and to be overwhelmed with that, to be consumed with that. And Jesus says you can't go there. Because what happens is, there's this stuff that's happened to us and it's happened to all of us. Every one of us has been hurt, has been harmed, has been mistreated by someone, whether physically or verbally However, it, it's happened to you. We've all been hurt. And so we take those hurts. And, and maybe, maybe as, a, as a woman, maybe it was a past relationship. Maybe, maybe it was a husband who hurt you greatly. And the marriage ended. And maybe there was physical abuse. Maybe there was emotional and, and verbal abuse. And, and now you're just overcome with, with hatred and with bitterness and you take it out on all men. And every man's a pig. And I hate men. And you go into the grocery store and, and you just snarl at men. And if a guy's checking you out at the front, you don't even smile. You just, you hate men. There's no reason. It's just because of that, that one man in your life and now you hate all men. Or maybe as a man, maybe your mom was just horribly mean to you as a kid. Maybe you were abused. And, and there was a woman in your life that was at the, the forefront of that abuse. And now you just hate women. And you can't stand them and you treat them all horribly. And maybe you're married and you treat your wife horribly. And you've been overcome with judgment and with condemnation. See, it started with this one person and this hurt here. But the, <laughs> because you didn't deal with it right, you took that and you began to translate that into the rest of your relationships and the rest of your dealings with people. And now you're wondering, why don't I have any friends? Why can't I have successful relationships? Why do people treat me so bad? Why is this a pattern in my life? Why is everything falling apart? And, and then it begins the, the whole downward spiral of my life is horrible and I've been dealt a bad hand and nobody loves me and, and God has forsaken me. But it really all stemmed from the fact that you didn't deal with this right over here. You didn't forgive. You didn't move on. You judged and you condemned. And you brought that into your present relationships. And now everything is falling apart because of your refusal to heed the commands of Jesus. And see, what Jesus isn't saying, you guys, is that we can't use judgment. Or that we don't use discernment. Or that we can't call out sin. See, unbelievers, they don't have a lot of verses memorized. But most of America knows this verse. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. And even believers use it wrongfully. And so you call somebody out. And somebody's sleeping around. Somebody's living with their, their, their significant other who isn't their spouse. And you say to them, look... That's sin. Somebody's gossiping. And you say, look, you're, you're harming people. You're sinning. 
with your gossip. You need to repent. And what do they say? Don't judge me, brother. Doesn't Jesus say, don't judge? You talk to an unbeliever. Doesn't the Bible say something about not judging? You shouldn't judge me. And see, that's taking this verse and ripping it out of its context to make it say what you want it to say. Because later on, Jesus is going to talk about, right here in this very sermon, about knowing people by their fruit. Now, I want you to think about that. If you know somebody by their fruit, what does that mean that you have to do to them? You have to make judgments about them. You have to assess their lifestyle and juxtapose it with the scriptures and say, you know what? It doesn't line up. Your lifestyle and your speech are conflicting. And so you're able to make an assessment about that and you're able to call them out on it because they're living in opposition to God. That's not being judgmental. That is doing what God has called you to do and keeping people accountable. But what Jesus is saying here is don't let your life be consumed by bitterness and cynicism where you just judge everybody. And you take something somebody said and you track it all the way back to motive. And now you've got this person, in your mind, you think you've got them completely figured out. You know everything about them and you don't like them at all. In fact, you don't like anybody. You hate everybody and you judge everybody and you gossip and you're malicious with your speech and it comes out. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't be that kind of person. Judgmental, condemning, cynical. See, it started because you didn't deal with your enemies right. You didn't deal with the people that have hurt you. And a layer formed around your heart and you went on and now you're taking it out on your spouse and on your kids and on your coworkers and you wonder why doesn't anybody like me it's because you've become judgmental and cynical because you didn't let god deal with your heart you didn't heed jesus's words well it's not just negative he doesn't just say don't do these things he also tells us what to do he says forgive and you will be forgiven forgive people See, this person that's hurt you, that's harmed you, you've got to let that go. You've got to be willing to forgive them. And it comes as a result of recognizing your own sin and realizing how much Jesus has forgiven you. Jesus told the story about a man who was forgiven a great debt. And then when released from his debt, he went out and found somebody that owed him a few bucks. And he'd just been released from this huge debt. And now here's this guy, owes him a few bucks, and he wants to throw him into debtor's prison because of his unwillingness to forgive, even though he had been forgiven so much. And when the man, (coughs) excuse me, when the man, I got this like thing in my throat, and it only comes out when I start to talk, but this man that, that, that forgave him the great debt said to him, Look, if you're not willing to forgive, I'm not going to forgive you. And he threw him into debtor's prison. Now, what I want you to understand is that Jesus is not saying, in order for you to be forgiven, you've got to earn it by forgiving others. That would be legalism. That would be works. What Jesus is saying is that if you've truly been forgiven, that it will be a natural byproduct for you to forgive others. And that if you're holding bitterness and you're holding hatred in your heart, that you have to examine your life and you have to say, have I truly been forgiven by God? Have I truly been converted? 
and dealt with these things. And so that's what it means to forgive. It, it means that you're willing to let it go because God has forgiven you so much. Well, how do I know if I've forgiven somebody? Well, when you think about them, you don't want to kill them anymore. That would be a good place to start. You're willing to pray for them. You're willing to, to speak kindly to them. You're not going to forget about what happened. That's impossible. But you're willing to let it go. You don't bring it up every time you see them. Or every time you get a little bit irritated and it comes out. Well, yeah, you know, what you did this. Or, or the passive-aggressive, well, I could bring up stuff that you've done to me too. And, and so basically, you're, you're not saying it, but you're holding it over them. And you're using it against them. And that's not forgiveness. That, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He says, forgive, and it will prove that you've been forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. And so in other words, don't be a judgmental, cynical kind of a person. Be forgiving, be giving, be magnanimous, be a person who is generous, even though you've been hurt, and you've been harmed, and you've been injured in life. You're not walking around like Eeyore. It's, Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. The world's against me. I've been dealt a bad hand. I mean, nobody wants to be around those kind of people. You start to avoid them. It's like, oh, here they come. Oh. <laughs> Hopefully I don't have to deal with this. You don't even want to ask, how are you doing? Because you know it's just going to be a puking out of all of their problems. And it's just complete self-consumption. Jesus said, don't be like that. Be a giving person. Ask how others are doing. Pray for other people. Help other people through their issues and their difficulties. And then you'll find something out that's absolutely amazing. Is that your heart will begin to be changed. And that your perspective will change. And your life will change. And rather than dragging your face on the ground all the time. And rather than having this sky is falling mentality. And nobody likes me. All of a sudden... The sun comes out and the clouds break away because you're not focused on yourself. You're giving. And see, the, the, the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And so if you're a self-consumed, selfish person who is bitter and angry and hateful and talks about yourself and your problems all the time, that's what will come back to you. That's what you'll get out of life. But Jesus said, man, if you're a giver, if, if you are loving people, if you are forgiving people and letting things go and moving on from that person that's hurt you, then it will be measured back to you super abundantly. Literally is what this means. With good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. The picture is of someone buying grain in the market. And they go and they buy grain and the way they would buy the grain is... They, they would use the fold in their skirt, in their robe, and it would be poured in. And then they would shake it to, to fill up the space. And they would press it down to, to get rid of any empty air. And they would shake it, and they would press it down, and they would pour it over. And Jesus said, it's running over. And that's the kind of life that Jesus wants us to have. It's the principle of what you sow is what you will reap. And if you sow bitterness and anger and cynicism and selfishness and always talking about yourself, 
that's what you're going to reap. That's what your relationships will look like. And it's ugly and it's nasty and nobody wants to be around that. And that's what you'll produce in your kids. And your kids will be bitter and angry and they'll hate everybody and they'll be judgmental and you're just passing it on to the next generation. Way to go. And, and, then, and then you wonder, why don't they have any friends? How come my kids don't have any friends? Well, you haven't equipped them <laughs> in any way, shape, or form to have friends. You haven't equipped them at all to be a, a loving spouse. And, and so this is all stemming from how you deal with those that have hurt you and harmed you. And remember the context of this. We don't just pull this out and make it say what we want. The context of this is all about your enemies and how you deal with your enemies. And then Jesus is going to illustrate the reason for this. Because you look at this and you say, Okay, all this stuff that Jesus is telling me to do, judge not, condemn not, forgive, give. Why? Why should I be willing to do that? This person, you don't even know what they've done to me. Why should I be willing to do this? And Jesus gives us the reason. He says he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? Now, I think upon first reading of this, it's one of those things where you're absolutely confused as to how this fits into the context. What does this have to do with anything? And I can just picture the disciples sometimes when Jesus gave a parable, just being like, oh boy, here we go again. You know, we're going to be confused. We're going to have to ask him what he means. And I mean, because sometimes these things are so random. But I think Jesus is making a very specific point. And that is, when we harbor bitterness, and when we are unwilling to forgive, and we hold things against people, basically what we're saying is, I'm superior to you. I'm better than you. I wouldn't do this to me. And so I'm, a, I'm better than you. I'm leading you. But what you don't realize is that you are blind. That you're blind to your own sin. You're blind to your own transgressions. You're blind to the fact that you've offended God way more than, he, than you've ever been offended by anybody else. That you've hurt God. That you've rebelled against God. That you've cursed God. And you've offended Him. And He's willing to forgive you. And since you're not willing to forgive, you are blind to your own sin. And now you're saying to this person, essentially, I'm better than you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to show you how you actually should live. And you both fall into a pit because you are blind to your own sin. And see, there were all these pits around Israel that Jesus was referring to. In other words, you're blind and you think you're doing well and you don't have a clue. And you just fall into one of these pits that's out there along the road. And the disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Jesus continues the illustration behind the reason, and that is, look, you're blind. You're a sinner. Don't try to lead people. Don't try to be the one that they ought to pattern their life, and and you think you're superior to them, and you think that you've got it figured out, you need to follow me. If, if you want an example of how you ought to live, then look at me, because you see, Jesus fully embodies all of these commands. Jesus is the ultimate judge, and yet he doesn't judge us. Jesus could very well condemn us to hell, and yet he doesn't condemn us. The Bible says there is no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. 
Jesus is willing to forgive even though we've turned our back on him. Jesus said from the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He's willing to forgive. Jesus is the ultimate giver. He was rich, and yet for your sakes, he became poor. He gave everything he had so that we could have life. See, he was willing to do that. And so now you look at Jesus and you say, okay, he did it for me, so now I can do it for others. He's the pattern by which I want to follow my life after. And if he didn't judge me, then I certainly can't judge others. And if he didn't condemn me, then I can't condemn others. And if he was willing to forgive me, then I need to be willing to forgive. And if he is giving so much to me, then I need to be willing to give to others. See? And it comes as a response Not as a work to achieve, not as a moral standard, but as something you're doing as a byproduct of what he's already done for you. And so a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who, when perfectly trained, when discipled, will be like his teacher. And so we want to be like Jesus, because we're blind, because we're incapable of doing these things on our own. And then Jesus goes on and he says, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. And so he he just is simply continuing his point that... You're holding these things against somebody. And now you've become judgmental and cynical and condemning. And you notice all of these faults of everybody else. You've become very skilled at it. In fact, you have begun to think it's a spiritual gift. I have the gift of discernment. How many times have you heard that? I'm, I'm a discerning person. No, you're not. You're arrogant. You're full of yourself. And you're not willing to look at your own heart. You you become very skilled at seeing the sin in others without recognizing your own sin. Jesus said it's like a person who has a log shooting out of their face. Giant log just protruding from their head. And they're going around and they're saying, you know, you've got a little bit of sawdust there on your cheek. You might want to deal with that. And, you know, walking off. And the person's like, seriously? It's ridiculous. Hey, dude, why don't you deal with the log that's shooting out of your head? And that's, that's how ridiculous it is when we're unwilling to look at our own life and yet we're, we're finding fault with everybody else and we're sin-sniffing and we're gossiping. And see, David got to this place in his life, King David, because he was unwilling to deal with his sin. And you remember the story of how David committed adultery with Bathsheba and he impregnated her. And, and then to cover it up because he didn't want to be found out, to cover it up, He tried to get Bathsheba to go sleep with her husband. (laughs) He pulled him away from war, brought him home. He thought, this will be perfect. But Uriah was such an honorable guy that he said, how can I sleep with my wife and, and enjoy the comforts of my home when all my men are out fighting? And so he wouldn't do it. He slept out on the steps of the palace. And David wakes up in the morning, goes out to get his paper. Oh, man, there's Uriah. Dang it. It didn't work. And so... Concocts a different plan. Send Uriah out to the front lines. 
and we'll have him killed. And it'll look like it was just a casualty of war. But in fact, it was murder. It was plotted and planned by David. Nobody knew this. And David lived with this sin for a year. This sin of adultery. This sin of stealing someone's wife. This sin of murder. And he never dealt with it. He had guilt, but he didn't deal with it right. And then a prophet by the name of Nathan came to David and said, David, you know, there's this guy down the road, and and you're not going to believe this. But he had a whole herd of sheep, beautiful sheep, big herd. And he was going to have some friends over, and he didn't want to slaughter one of his lambs, so he decided to slaughter one of his neighbor's lambs. And the really tragic thing about that is that neighbor only had one lamb. Can you believe that, David? This guy with a huge herd wants to have some friends over, wants to provide a feast, but he's unwilling to sacrifice, so he steals this poor guy's little lamb. And David was infuriated. Find that man. He will pay for this. And Nathan said, you are the man. And immediately David was struck with his own sin. But see, it took somebody to come to him and to say to him, David, you are an idiot. What are you doing? Wake up. You, you recognize the sin in somebody else's life, but you're not willing to recognize it in your own life? David had a big old log shooting out of his head, and he was looking at the specks and everybody else. And you know what? We can all fall into that place. And it starts with, I was hurt. I was harmed. I'm not going to deal with it right. Now I'm bitter. I'm angry. I'm cynical. And now we become very good at finding fault in everybody else and justifying and saying, well, you don't know how much I've been hurt. If you know what kind of life... I've lived, if you know what kind of things I've been through, then you wouldn't be so critical of me. Well, I'm not trying to be critical of you, but you've got this huge log shooting out of your head, and you're hurting people with it. Jesus uses hyperbole to make a point that none of us are without offense. We've all offended God, and we have to deal with our own stuff first. And then maybe God will call you to help somebody through a situation in love to deal with the sin in somebody else's life, to be a Nathan in the life of somebody else. But you got to deal with your own heart first. And that's what Jesus does, is he gets right to the heart of the matter in verses 43 to 45. He says, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man... Out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter here. And he says, look, if you want to make application of these things in your life, which we all ought to, then you need to understand that you're completely incapable of doing these things. The commands given in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 20, all the way through, are absolutely counterculture. They're opposed to the way that the world is going. It's like swimming upstream. Who does this? Who does these things? It's opposed to the way that we've been taught. It's absolutely contrary to our flesh and the way that we naturally are bent. I mean, I was a perfect example of that this week. It's absolutely contrary and opposed to the world, and to our flesh, and to the way we've been raised. But Jesus is not telling us to go out and make this happen on your own. Jesus is not giving us a list of rules to keep to become a Christian, that you need to do these things, that this is how your life ought to 
ought to be, and then I will accept you. What Jesus is saying is, you need to have your heart changed. See, when we try to change people from the outside in, it's impossible. We can clean up the house a little bit, but in reality, nothing has changed. What God wants to do is He wants to change the heart. He wants to get inside, and He wants to make a radical change that will then begin to affect the way that you live. He wants to change your heart, though. See, dogs bark. Babies cry. Politicians lie. Governments waste money. You can't do anything about it, right? It's just the way it is. It's the way they are. Not all politicians, but most of them. And not all governments, but, well, yeah, all governments, pretty much. But you you can try to train your dog not to bark, and you can put one of those shock collars on them, and every time they bark, you can shock them. But, man, when that rabbit runs by, or when that person comes walking down your driveway, or when that whatever that makes dogs bark, they want to bark, but they're not. You've changed their behavior through restriction. I'll shock you, quit barking. You haven't really changed the dog's heart. Take that shock collar off for a while. Let them get away with barking for a few times, and they'll go right back to it, just like a baby. You can you know, get angry with a baby, and, and you can get frustrated. And why is the baby crying? Babies cry. That's what they do. They have to mature and grow up before they quit crying, and you'd have to change that dog into something else in order to get it to quit barking. And it's the same with our own heart. You can try to be loving. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try real hard. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to love. I'm going to do this. But you can't do it. And it'll, it'll last a couple times. And then, and then it'll just be like a, the, the, the torrents of anger will come flowing out. I held back two times. And now I'm letting it flow. You, you have to let your heart be changed. You've got to give your, your life completely over to Jesus. That's what he's saying here. He's detailing the fact that in order for these things to become a part of your life, he's got to change your heart because out of the abundance of your heart, that's what you're going to be living like. And so if you've been noticing that your lifestyle has been very bitter and angry and cynical, then it's because your heart has a problem and Jesus wants to change your heart. So you've got to get to the source of the problem. If you look at a river and it's dirty and it's nasty and it's gross, I mean, you could start cleaning it up right there and, and start taking the limbs out and, and trying to filter the dirt. And, but, oh man, it just keeps coming. Well, there's a source for all that garbage. You've got to go find out where the source is and cut it off. And that's what Jesus wants to do in your heart. But you're trying to clean up the outside. You're going to... Hold your tongue and bite it. But you're still angry and bitter and, and eventually it'll just come out. He wants to deal with your heart. And this obedience and, and, and this lifestyle change, you guys, I can't stress enough to you, it isn't about you trying harder. It's about you building your life on the foundation of the gospel and having your life rooted in the gospel. See, when your exterior is truly changed and there's real fruit being produced in your life, it's because your life is founded on a firm foundation. It's because your life is rooted properly. See, and every fruitful tree has a lot going on that you don't see. In fact, I was told that your root system in in a tree at your house actually grows more in the winter 
than it does in the summer. And you look at that tree in the winter and it looks dead. There's nothing going on. There's no leaves. There's no fruit. In fact, sometimes you go out there and you think, did that tree die? And you go and you break a little limb and it's, there's, there's green there, but it just looks dead. But I was informed that actually the root system grows more during that time because all of the nutrients are being distributed to the roots. And see, there's a lot going on that you're not aware of. And just like in a building, there is a lot going on in a building that you don't see. See, we want to just take care of our exterior. Okay, Jesus, I want to quit being mean. So let's take care of it. I'm not going to be mean anymore. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to get a t-shirt. that says, I'm a nice guy. And, and that's about the extent of it. Because really, I'm a jerk. And Jesus said, I want to deal with your heart. I want to get in and I want to root your life and establish your life properly. And he goes on, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? See, it's a, it's a perfect question in light of the context. Why is it? Why is it that, that you call me Lord, Lord, that you say, I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm going to be a good person, I'm going to do this right, I'm going to be loving, I'm going to be forgiving, I'm going to pray for people. Lord, I'm going to follow you. Jesus says, why is it that you call me Lord, Lord, but you're not doing anything I say? It's a great question. And he says, whoever comes to me, that is someone who responds to Jesus and, and wants him in their life, whoever comes to me and hears my saying. So you've heard it, you believe it, at least mentally, you, you've said, I, I assent to these things. That there, there is something about that that, I, that resonates with me. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. And so this is a person who comes to Jesus, who, who says, I, I believe in these things. And not only do I believe in them, but I'm going to allow them to go down into my heart and I'm going to allow it to produce roots into my life so that fruit can come. And I've founded my life on the gospel and upon Jesus. And so it didn't just go to my ear and into my mind. And I, I think, yeah, conceptually I agree with that. But then never live it out. There, there was never any application of it. It, it went beyond that. There, it went to a place where your life was completely submitted to the truth of the gospel. That's what Jesus said. That person is like a person that builds their house on a firm foundation. But a, the other guy who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. And so this person is a person who just hears the word, but they never submit to it. They never submit to the gospel. And see, it's like two types of home builders. You've got the one home builder that they hire a contractor, and, and I, I want to I build a house, and, and I want it to be solid. Because I know that, that floods could come. I, I know that winds will come. I know that the earth is moving and things shift and I want a solid foundation for my house. And you find out, yeah, it's going to be kind of expensive. But I'm willing to put in the money to this foundation that the excavators are going to backfill and I'm never going to see it again. But I'm willing to do that. 
Because I understand the importance of it. See, that's the person who says, you know what? Jesus, I want you to do work on my heart. I know most people are never going to see it. I know it's not flashy, and it's not what's going to get me praise, and it's not what's going to have people take notice of me. But Jesus, I want you to do that work in me. I want you to just absolutely bring me to a place of brokenness. And I want a new heart. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Take me, Lord. And you submit yourself to him. And he does that work. And then you're able to begin to grow. And your growth may not be super fast. Because you weren't just concentrating on the outside. You wanted him to do a work in you. And you were dealing with hard stuff. And letting him get down and give you a new heart. But then there's the other kind of home builder that meets with the contractor and the contractor says, well, we can cut corners on the foundation because actually code doesn't say that that we have to have it be the best. And so we can pour uh, just a a footing and and then we can put the stem wall. We don't actually have to even attach the stem wall to the footing and we don't really even need to use a lot of rebar. We can cut corners there and we can use a, a, a concrete mix that's that's not as good and stable. It's got a lot more water in it. It'll be cheaper. And you'll save a lot of money. Oh, that way I can have like granite countertops and stuff. And, and that way I can have those wood floors I want. Yeah, yeah, that'll, that'll be in the budget. If we cut corners there, we'll have money there. Oh, that's what I want because I want a really nice house. And I don't really care about what I'm never going to see. And they're willing to cut corners. And see, that's what many do in their lives. They're willing to cut corners. They they, they want the the fast and easy way to make changes. And there isn't any. Because when the difficulties of life come, when the floods come into your life, the, the trials, the dealing with hard people in your past or in your present, when that comes, you guys, your life will fall apart. And you'll wonder, why is the ceiling caving in? Why are the walls cracking? Why is the floor all warped and What's going on? And because you, you've built your life on a foundation that wasn't solid. And when the difficulties came, the, the, the things changed and shifted in your life, your, your house began to crumble. And great was its fall. And so Jesus makes it clear here, you guys, that it isn't our confession of Christ, but obedience to his word that will be judged in eternity. It, it isn't our confession. It isn't just saying, I believe it's our submission to the gospel. Not being just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. This isn't about legalism, though. This isn't about you going out and trying hard. Okay, I got to go obey. I got to go do this. This is about truly understanding the gospel and building your life upon that. Because, see, that's the foundation. That's the root. And it's hard because we don't want to admit that we've got nothing to offer God. We don't want to admit that we can't do this on our own. So we kind of just want to get around that. I don't really want to admit that, that I've got nothing. See, that's where we have to get to. That's the digging down deep. That's the laying of a solid foundation. And those that have submitted themselves to the gospel and to the truth of the gospel will find that Jesus is really working his truth out in their lives. They'll find that fruit just becomes a byproduct. And that their life is firm and stable. And even though difficulties come and trials happen, you don't fall apart. And so I want to challenge you guys this morning. If you look at your life 
And you compare it with the things that we've talked about over the last couple weeks and you say, man, I don't see this in my life. I'm, I am judgmental. I am cynical. I, I haven't forgiven. I'm not a giving person. I'm not a loving person. I, in fact, I hate people. I don't even like being around people. And, and, and you sense that you're like this blind person trying to lead the blind. And, and that your heart does need to be radically changed. And you do need to have a solid foundation under your life. And I encourage you, <laughs> encourage you as we close in song this morning, that you would get your life right. That you would deal with that stuff with Jesus. Maybe you're a Christian, but you just ventured way off and, and you haven't allowed Jesus to deal with you and deal with your heart. And he wants to do that this morning. Maybe you're not a Christian. You've never submitted your life to Christ. Maybe you've been playing church. Maybe you've been coming to church your whole life. But you just have never actually submitted to the truth of the gospel. You've never gone from being a hearer to a doer of the word. He wants you to to make that change today. He wants you to to submit your life to him today. Guys, we got to quit playing games. We got to quit real uh, thinking that we can do this on our own. We got to quit thinking that if I just show up to church and I sing a few songs and I give a couple bucks and I listen to a message that I'm good. You guys, this is just an opportunity for us to gather as believers corporately. This isn't the essence of Christianity. This does not make you a person who, whose life is lining up with the will of God. This has nothing to do with that. Jesus wants to change your heart. He wants to change your life. He wants to do a radical thing in you. And will you let him? Will you allow him to do that? Don't leave here hearing another message and allowing your heart to grow harder to his word. Putting another layer over your heart and not dealing with the stuff that Jesus wants to deal with. Let him deal with you today. We'll be available to pray with you. Come and get prayer. Humble yourself. Because you don't want to hear, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? That's not what we want our life to be about. It's just a show, just the exterior. We want our life to be rooted and established in the gospel and in the truth of the gospel. And I hope... I hope that it is. And I hope that you'll take advantage of this opportunity this morning to apply these things in your life and to truly let Jesus deal with you. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thanks for listening and God bless.